first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Uh, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherload. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Okay, now that we got all that realm's deep bullshit out of the way, exactly. let's, uh, let's actually talk like two human beings talk. All right. <laughs> I uh, I had my reservations when I first played the demo. I, we talked a lot about this earlier today. Currently, you know, it's an early build, so like we're going to give space for that. But it just it was not really obvious to me out the get go what kind of game this was going to be, and that's that's definitely a difficult task because I I also didn't catch that with Devil Daggers or Crossbow Blood Knight. I was just like I did, I played Crossbow first, and I was just like uh, okay. This is just one fucking arena. You know, I'm used to playing shooters that, you know, like you progress and all this kind of thing. I'm like, what is, what is this? And I had people tell me about Devil Daggers. Like, you got to play it. It's so cool. Um, Crispy Prawn actually gifted it to me on Steam. Shout out to Crispy Prawn. And I I was playing Devil Daggers. And I'm just like, I don't get it. Why is this so freaking, like, why are people so into this? And then my first match ended. And I was like, um, R. (laughs) <laughs> i don't i don't know that i like that but then the, the leaderboard popped up and i saw my friend's name vince Steele, and i was like huh i could beat that score and then i did and then i saw another name up the list i'm like oh he's my friend too violent heart i could beat his score and then 45 minutes later i'm sweaty at my keyboard and and then i was like oh that's that's what's so appealing about it and your game to be fair uh isn't just that kind of game it takes that concept and it really beautifully expands upon it man uh it's got it's got level progression it's got progression in terms of like your your movement your weapons everything and where did all this come from did it come out of the ether to you or is it just a a spark a lightning in a bottle kind of thing i i think it was kind of a lightning in a bottle kind of thing um I had come off of um, modding for Arma. I was baking this gigantic total replacement for Arma. It was getting a lot of traction. It was looking really good. And then just Arma, they have a tendency to kind of keep changing their engine. And one day they just broke it like three times in a single week. And and I literally just threw my hands up in the air and said, okay, I'm done. And I went to, you know, Unity. And I decided to start kind of playing with that. And I played with that for a little while and it didn't really land on anything. And then all of a sudden I decided, well, how about this? I'll just do like a week-long game jam just make something. And I had at, at that point, you know, devil daggers had, had been on the radar a little bit. So I was like, Hmm, it'd be kind of cool to do like a little arena shooter. And I should send you the, the picture of, of where I started and where I am now. You, you'd flip it. Just it's complete. It was a little low poly shooter, but it became really addictive quickly because it was about chasing score. 
So I thought about that and I just kind of kept working on it and working on it. And for a while, it just, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with it. It's like, it, it was almost like it didn't have a quite a, the right direction and I almost gave up on it. But then I came up with this idea about totems mm -hmm. and that whole idea kind of changed the entire way I thought about the game. So I started play, making it around that kind of idea and it really just grew from there. So from that point, it just boom, everything just came together. And here we are. Yeah. So for people listening, the, the way that it works is, you know, you're, you're in an, a single level arena, which you actually progress through more than, more than just that one level over time. Yes. Unlike the other games that we mentioned here. Um, and you have a horde who are coming out of like teleporters the whole time, very similar to like a doom level, but you know, in its own way. And you are accumulating points by killing them. And then, then you get upgrades and you get um, items that you can use to kind of, um, I'd say more intelligently kind of work your way through that horde. And, at the end of the level, if you accumulate over a thousand points, you get a hell point and you can take that to a store and you can upgrade your character or your weapons or whatever. Once you've done so, you can come back, revisit it and do it more efficiently. And then as you work your way through the levels, you eventually get to a boss and you want to, you know, your, your whole strategy is to be as buffed as possible when you reach that boss. That is a, uh, that's never been, that's literally never been done before. You know, this is, I'm going to say that a lot through this interview. This is taking the concept of, I, you know, we talked about arena shooters. You use that word, and, and people are using that word more and more now. Arena shooter means a totally different thing to me. Like, that's, to me, that's Quake. That's. Yeah, I think a lot of people associate like multiplayer with yeah with arena shooter by just be by default, yeah. right? And because that means nobody's Wolfsburg, working. That means Doombringer. Yeah. That means. And there's a lot of those. Yeah. But um, there's no single player. And. And I think that something you said to me earlier in regards to defining it as an arena shooter, you mentioned Doom 2016, and, and to a large extent also Doom Eternal falls under this category. Though they are very linear, like single-player games with the story and everything, they they do, in fact, feature these arenas where you play through the thing and your whole object is to like fight your way through the horde and to then escape and then upgrade your character it's just a, like a lot more of a um, what's the word i would use for it it's a more we'll say immersive experience right it feels like a, a less arcade you right. know less like a, a game and more like a a video game i don't, I don't know how right. to put it like a story uh, doing kind a of like thing. a yeah. you know something yeah. you're living and you're you're involved in and you're doing right. You're, you're taking that and you're boiling it down to just the, to what makes it good and get rid of all the fat. Yep. You know, Trimming the fat. Trim that fat. Yeah. Well, it, I'm, I'm a musician by heart and this, yeah. the saying that is always, and a studio engineer by heart, so the, the saying has always been, don't bore us, get to the chorus, right? <laughs> so kind of the idea with Unleash Hell was to just basically make it, you are in hell. You are facing Satan's overlords to get to Satan to win a trip home basically. And there's a little more to the story with that. And I can't really get into it because it's part of the reveal. So that comes later, but the gist of it is there's five different levels. There's three waves per level and each wave 
the first wave is a, is a regular kind of start you out wave to get you familiar with the level. And I didn't do any procedural type of things because I, I wanted to hearken back to the days where you learned a level. You became really good at moving through it. And as a result, you just could maximize the, the amount of pickups you got, the amount of kills you got, the combo kill rackups. I mean, because the whole idea here is score, score, score. Because you unlock weapons through score, you get the more kills you get, the more adrenaline you get, and the more adrenaline you pop through your system, the more abilities you can activate. You can slow time, you can drop to totems cost of um, adrenaline, and these totems come in different variations. So as long as you're near the totem, you're getting the effect. So the idea was to take fast-paced game, fast gameplay where you move through these levels. So you start with your first wave, and if you survive the, the time limit, you get your points, you can upgrade your stuff, and then you go to the second wave, which is the same level. However, it's evolved. It becomes perhaps a bridge that's in it is now gone or blown apart. Part of the terrain is now hazardous at times. There are more, it's, it's, less, it's less easy to move through the, the level, more difficult. And then I wanted the third level, the third wave to be just the boss wave. That's where you fight the boss. And I'm a huge MMO fan. So mm -hmm. I wanted to do a lot of kind of raid tactic style boss fights. So they're interesting. They're not just bullet sponges. So that's something to look forward to as well. And then hopefully if you can make it through all of that and get to Satan, well, then I guess you get to see the, you know, the ultimate boss battle. What's really interesting, it's different talking to you than a lot of other indie developers who are early on in their games, is that you you very much seem to have a very clear vision of the totality of what this game will encompass. Um, it's, it's really rare that I play a game this early on in development and ask questions, and it's like, well, no, I've already got it all planned out. I'm just kind of like working. I'm doing the work now. Yep. Um, most folks are like, ah, you know, like this is the early part. We haven't figured this out yet. We haven't figured that out. You're like, no, you have an answer for like every question, which is, it's a gift and a curse. In some kind ways. of, yeah. I mean, the now curse... you have to own up to all of it. You can't use the excuse like, well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, you know, that's not something I'm actually worried about, like the, the actually being able to do it part. Cause I'm, I'm pretty tenacious and I've been able to do pretty much everything I wanted to do with the game so far. And I feel like I've done it at a pretty high level at least for an, a, a solo indie developer. I mean, this is all being made by one guy and that's kind of the curse of what you said, you know, having it all laid out. And because I have it all laid out, there's almost a sort of nagging impatience there that I want to get to being able to make that, but I only have two hands and, you know, one person. If I could clone myself a few times and we, we could, you know, make a lot more progress, but it, it's it's the waiting sometimes that just gets you because you're like, I cannot wait to get this boss out. So, you know, people I can see it. with me. If if I had two or three of me's around, oh yeah, there would be fights all the time. But yeah, we'd just beat the crap out of each other. All but I figure between the brawls, we'd probably get some things done. You know? Yeah. I don't no, know. not me. No, it would, no? It would be like it's essentially like a, something I talk about with my wife is like we're very similar people. Like if if we didn't both really like our our space, like we're both very like you know like you do your thing, I'll do my kind of thing right. kind of person. Um, if we weren't, you know, if we, if we both had the same personality and also were like very much like kind of codependent sort of people who need to be around each other a lot, we would kill each other. Right. There's no way. But I think that's important. And for you, you know, being a solo dev, there, there's some challenges and curses with that. But anytime you're working with the team, you have to be able to like mesh. There's that yeah. storming, norming, performing, adjourning thing that everyone goes through as a team. 
Um, and I'm curious, what are some of the, the challenges, but also the pros of working alone? Well, um, I think one of the pros is, you know, everything you do is fantastic. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no one calling. tells you otherwise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have everybody, you know, you, you're, a, but, um, I think it allows you to try new things more in a, in, in a little bit more of an uninhibited fashion because you're not, there's no, um, peer pressure to like, Hey, what are you doing? Um, you know, that has to succeed on your attempt. Like you can't just, I think it's a lot harder to just make glaring, terrible, horrible mistakes. Um, and, and not feel embarrassed or carry some sort of, you know, weight from that. So there is that you have a little more freedom in, in what you can and can't do. However, you know, you don't also have kind of people around you unless you, you know, surround yourself by some really quality people that are willing to literally tell you the truth. Um, and I find that a lot of, from what I've seen, you know, a lot of young developers have a tendency to surround themselves with people who are very positive about what they're doing, regardless of how good it is. And support is excellent, but you also have to be honest with your friends and if they're your friends and you have to be honest with the people that are developing your game, because ultimately you're, you're almost setting them up for failure if you don't. So that is one curse I would guess is working alone is you kind of aren't you don't have someone is who's equally, you know, quote unquote, financially invested in your product, who's looking to, you know, steer you, keep you on the right course. It's, it's just someone who's may, maybe excited about your game. And even if you do something stupid, they're going to say, Oh, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And that doesn't help. So that's probably the worst thing is just, you got to be careful. It's hard to get good input. So I genuinely hope like, cause I'm, I'm generally very positive at, I don't, I don't really live by that. Like if you got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all rule. Like I, I know why that makes sense. And to some extent it does in some cases it makes sense. But I mean, did, at any point in time today, did I not tell you how I felt? You know, and I, I appreciate that. See me yeah. and I personally love it when people are just straight up and tell me, but here, you know, there's a difference in, in types of criticism. I mean, if you've got valid criticism, it's valuable. Like yeah. if you say to somebody, you know, the, this feels a little spongy or, I feel like this enemy may be a little overpowered, but if you just come at someone and say, yeah, it sucks. That's just terrible. You're not helping. I mean, no, no. there's an art to construct. Yeah. Criticism. And I'm down for all constructive criticism because if I didn't have this criticism, I would have done a lot of stupid things with my game. Like my wife, she keeps me honest a lot. Uh, like she keeps me from doing a lot of stupid things in this game. So I usually run everything by her at, at first. So do you, do you mind telling the story oh. um, about the, the steam page release? Yeah, no, no, I don't mind. So, um, okay. So I had just setting up a steam page is pretty daunting. It's, there's just so much crap you have to do. So, mm -hmm. um, I was, you know, hovering over the button showing my wife cause I was all proud. I had pretty much completed everything. And I was like, man, all I got to do now is just hit this button and it goes live. And she just looked at me. She's like, well, then do it pussy. So <laughs> I, didn't mean to i meant to just freak her out kind of you know like and act like and i did i clicked it but it, it's probably the best thing i've ever done uh, there, there <laughs> seems to be a lot of hype around it man like it, i when did we first talk you and i were hanging out i think zach 
was like, you got to check this oh. out. You, you showed up in the. Zach literally just had me bomb into your discord. You're just like, Hey, go crash their discord because he wants to talk to you. And I'm thinking, and, and for me, that's just kind of awkward because our first introduction is just, I'm me popping into your voice. Now, hey, how you doing? I live for that, man. I, I really like, it, it makes us feel validated. You know, when people show up and they're just like, Hey, we really want to show you our thing. It, it hasn't got to the point where it's annoying yet. I, I, right. I don't know, but in the keep is just a community we're literally just a community of people who hang out play games talk about stuff yeah but and then, man, it's, and then it's in the good meantime, to be here in the, in the cracks and crevices of that there's a lot of productivity that goes on but for the most part right I mean, we're, we're here to chill but um, I, I you know i personally i've been watching for a while kind of just lurking in the shadows i do that a lot and i am man you you are uh i, I just i'm so happy to see the progress that uh, itk is making and you know, I mean, it's all up from here, baby. Dude, it's been it's been weird. I, I was telling you that before we started rolling, but uh, what what's really the like when you when you put it on paper? What's the market for a podcast that specializes in you know boomer shooters and indie games and shit? Like, I personally it's, think it's huge. I, I mean, now I know that, but when I first started this thing, I was like. Yeah. No one gives no one gives a shit about what I have to say. Like, yeah, but if nobody's willing to put their balls out there and try something new, we don't get this kind of stuff. I mean, look at all the AAA studios afraid to try anything new, all just regurgitating the same crap over and over again. I mean, it's the indies that are driving the industry because we're the only ones willing to put our balls out there and do something. I mean, when I started making my game, people told me I was like, you're crazy, man. Nobody's going to play a single-player arena game like that. Got to put multiplayer in it or it's not going to sell. That's what they kept saying. But now it's, I don't get that anymore. I don't hear that at all. But I don't hear that anymore. It's just funny. You know, I don't hear that anymore because after, you know, I've talked to them and they see kind of like the game and stuff that, okay, I get it. There, I've I've been through an evolution. Because this shit, the, uh, In the Keep started off as an arena shooter show. You know, really? we, I did a lot of explaining about that in the episode 100. But it started off literally the intro to the show. If you go back and listen to like two, three, four, five, you know, early episodes, the, the intro said the show's all about arena first person shooters. And that's what I intended because I was very much focused on quake, uh, you know, unreal open arena, that kind of thing. And, and I'll, I'll always have a place in my heart for that, but somewhere along the line, it, it became apparent like, Hey, we can't just have a whole show about this all the time. We'll run out of guests fast. Like there's right. Yeah. And, and B I like, I kind of grew up as a person, I think in that I realized I'm wasting a lot of my, and I'm an adult, you know, I mean, you're much more of an adult than I am. It's rude to ask a lady her age, but you know, what are you getting up to now? Um, let's just say I am probably old enough to be your daddy. <laughs> I hope my real my real dad will listen to this and he'll be like, "I'm gonna beat that motherfucker's ass." Hi, uh, Mister Ty. I mean, no offense, but I am I am older. Uh, I I have a I have a I have kids that are just about your age, so stepsons. Uh, so anyway, point being, I I I realized at a certain point, like, look, I got a job, I got shit to do. I'm not gonna be sitting in this multiplayer lobby waiting on a game for you know. 20 minutes just seeing if anything good it just just on the off chance that i have a great experience tonight and i get there's a magic to when that happens really like when you 
when you're playing an arena shooter and you find someone who's just like right at your same skill level and you guys have great matches, yep. I mean, it's, it's hard to replicate that experience. Yep. However, how much time are you going to waste trying to find it? And then especially today, I, I transitioned into like really learning to appreciate single player games. And, and since then in the keeps just been, you know, there's been countless single player games on here. And I think that will just continue on and on and on. But what you're doing, what what games like you are doing, are taking, you're, you're simulating sort of an experience that is very much like that in a single player environment. You know, you're giving yeah. us this, you know, movement styles and re- really like finding a way to turn that arena shooter style and, uh, and feeling into something that can be experienced without waiting in a multiplayer lobby for 45 right. minutes on a, on yeah. a uh, Tuesday night. So, yeah. And it's really harder. It's a lot harder today because it's, and I don't, cause it's crazy. Cause I think, I feel like so many people really like the, like the arena shooters. Right. But mm-hmm. it just seems like there haven't been many offerings that pulled everybody in, you know, everybody seems spread out amongst a lot of them and, and none of them really pick up a large community as a result. And it's yeah. kind of, I think that's kind of sad, but I think that, you know, a lot of people have been pulled into like, you know, the apex games and things like that, you know, as a result, because of the lack of quote unquote, good, like UT 99 type games. I mean, facing worlds, a good match on facing worlds. So was there anything better, you know, for me, that was like the pinnacle of that and like return to castle Wolfenstein, the multiplayer matches. But for me, like I, I love the, uh, uh, UT 99 facing worlds. That was the greatest arena ever. But what you're, what you're kind of doing, because there's an argument to be made that Unleash Hell is not actually a single player game, because you are competing with all your friends. Yeah, and that's what's cool about it. Like, you're, but you're doing it in your own time. Yes, and, and leaderboards aren't new. This is not a brand new fucking right. concept, but it is new in this style of game, uh, at least to me and a lot of other people that are going to be watching Realms Deep this year. So, I. I would make a strong argument like that's 99.9% of the fun is knowing that I just whipped the shit out of my friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very much a, um, a game that I'm trying to, you know, kind of like tap into both the addictiveness of just wanting to not only beat your own score, Mm -hmm. but to beat other scores. Cause the way the leaderboards are laid out, you can be the best in the world or you can be the best among your friends. doesn't matter. And then you can also choose and pick, like where you want to specialize because after not only there's the way I've, 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 I've kind of divided the game up is there's a campaign mode, which is how you progress naturally through the arenas to face ultimately Satan. So, and then, but once you unlock a specific tier, it's now available in survival mode. So you can now go in and start competing for, for the top spot in that particular tier wave. So, or tier. So basically it's kind of a, I don't know, I guess, uh, you know, a thing to brag about, or I'm hoping that you see people in say tier four and tier five with super high scores. That means they've unlocked that tier and and not everybody's going to get there. So. So let's get into the subject matter a little bit. Okay. You're, uh, you're eventually you're going to face Satan in the game. Yes. I think we all know what that means, but yeah, I mean, you're aware of my strong, hatred towards games with hell in the title i yes. really can't i can't take it man you guys gotta somebody's got to draw the line somewhere yeah 
I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> I'm glad I just forward. barely made it into the pass. Okay, so I it's fine, but I, <laughs> what what's the deal? What's what's the story, and what makes it uh, unique to you? Because there's just so much stuff. It's like okay, this the, and I get why it, it is an epic epic story it is the um it's the ultimate good versus evil light versus it, dark you know it, it is it, it's it's very much just a complete summa summization of the hero's journey the going into hell and defeating all the enemies it's in dante's inferno it's yep. it echoes through humanity um but i feel like we can be more creative than that <laughs> well i, I I, I've actually, and without giving away, because I, I don't want to give it away, because that's really kind of all part of the real is the reveal is there is a story behind Unleash Hell, and it's probably not something you expect. Now, I know that it takes on the the form of quote unquote fighting Satan, right? But right. this isn't necessarily a religious thing. This is just something think of like an alien coming down they're going to take our form because it's something we identify with to understand it so giving quote-unquote satan as the face it kind of allows people to actually identify with it and understand it but once they hear the story i think that's going to put it all into perspective that it's something completely different and much deeper and probably much darker than people anticipate i mean let, let's just for fun for funsies okay try to try to put together a list of every game that has ever touched that topic right and it, it it's a short list it's, a, it's not it's not a short list really it's, i can do it right now okay okay uh three two one ultra kill hell is taken over everything is a machine blah 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 all right ultra kill. i have I, in all fairness i haven't played any of the like new games all i literally I mean, do is work on my game i i'm not doing this to like make you <laughs> no 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 bad. i'm yeah, just explaining where i'm coming from like right right like, how doom okay first of yep. all foremost doom yeah right doom two doom three doom all the dooms okay that's that's five i just put five on the board uh right continue on but aren't doom these bringer, same thing but Hell's aren't crazy. they all kind of like um the same you know actually you know um, following kind of the theology of the whole, you know, light, dark, or, or are they? Of course. Yeah. Okay. See, and I kind of went something somewhere else with it. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if I've actually heard a game that actually has the similar story. And I know it appears on the surface that it's very black and white, but it's not. Right. There are, you know, um, arches, uh, in stories that are truth of all, of all things, you know, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings are both literally the story of Jesus told over again. See, I've never listened. I've never done Harry Potter. I've done Lord of the Rings. So. Don't, you know, you're a grown man. You don't have time. For yeah. I, I just was never into it, man. I was off doing music and, you know, playing stuff. <laughs> King, King Arthur, right? Like the once and future King is again, yeah. the story of Jesus told through a different lens. And right. it, it, there's, there's nothing new about that. There, there are always going to be archetypes for incredible stories that we follow and we recreate and we modernize for a new audience or we tell again because in a different light to shed, you know, view on a different part of it or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. 
I'm just sick and damn tired of it always being about going to the hell and defeating the devil. Yeah. And not to say that I don't enjoy that. I do. I really love what you're doing. I love all these games. And ultimately it's a game. It's not about right. the story. It's about the gameplay. Right. But, but like, give me, give me something easier to sell. Honestly, that's the biggest thing for me is like, right. If I have 20 different podcasts in a row that all have the name hell in the title and people are like, Oh, did you hear about that game? Which one? Uh, it was something hell. Hell 97. You know, you know, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm getting yeah. at. Like, if you search it on a search engine, you're like, what, which right. game are you talking about? Hell, uh, 40 different games pop up in, on Steam. That's not helping me sell your product. That's not helping yep. me get you off the ground. That That's what I, that's where that whole thing comes from. Yep. Not that I'm like against the story being told or, or you doing what you're doing or anything right. like that. It's such a great concept. Um, it's just, it's just got to stand out. Yeah. Well, see, I've, um, I've put a lot of thought into the story because, you know, first and foremost, you know, I, I obviously I made the gameplay and everything else, but, you know, talking with my stepsons and just different people and it almost seems, um, it's just like a disconnect if you don't have some sort of a reason why you're there. You know, mm -hmm. like my stepson kept saying, give me a reason why I'm there. So we really put a lot of thought into a good story that could involve, you know, kind of the current setting. Because, you know, I love doing, I just love the whole vibe of the hell scene. You know, it's very dark and gothic. And I love making like monsters that look like demons. And I feel like it's pretty safe to kill demons and not going to offend really anybody. Um, so it was a safe kind of journey. But the the story, I, I really just didn't want to do, like you said, that typical you know, black and white story. So I added a twist. I'm hoping everybody kind of digs it, but I can't say until the reveal. <laughs> so I just thought of another example. Are you familiar with the game High Hell? No, I'm not. This is a Devolver digital title. Um, you, you know, you fight demons and Satan and stuff. Where do you think it's set? What's the setting of this game? it's hard to say because i mean literally you could almost do it anywhere i mean you could they could you know you could go to mars you know and they've pulled in through some wormhole you could uh they could have crash landed on your planet you know i mean it's an office building hey there you go <laughs> perfect See, yeah. right like that's exactly uh that's exactly what I'm, I'm trying to escape like fuck the office building i don't want to work under earth if i ever see another fluorescent light in my life i'll, I'll probably lose my mind um Oh, can I just go on record right now? I don't mean to interrupt you, but I will say right now, there are no sewer levels in Emily Shell. Damn it. Come on, Sorry. man. Don't you nope. want to get on Civvy? Nope. Civvy, I, 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 I do not want to be suffer the wrath of Civvy when he gets a hold of my game. I think he'll appreciate that he, you know, when he does, he better Civvy. Try your game. I, I hope he appreciates that there are no sewer levels. It's <laughs> very, very rare that he gets to enjoy a nice day off. Yeah, it's all for Civvy, so... Yeah, it's that's another thing that's really interesting and in, about indie dev that I'm I'm curious how you've navigated it because you've ended up here. You know, congratulations, you made it to the top of the heap. Oh, um, I'm like Sheldon up here. <laughs> the paper bag, no. you know. <laughs> but but what's it been like, kind of like trying to get people to notice? Um, you know, here's is here's the weird thing, and I, this I know this is going to sound like just totally anti everything, but I actually for the longest time was trying to stay as quiet as possible. You know, just imagine sitting in the woodshed, just honing and honing and typing, and you know, I'm just I'm just working away, toiling away. I wouldn't show anything for the longest time, 
And I had so many people saying to me, why don't you show off more stuff? I mean, that looks cool. And I'm like, no, it's not ready. It's not ready. It's not ready. While people are showing off like, you know, an untextured model that's like in a little animation that's really funky. And then here's my, you know, and, and doing a lot of updates about what they're doing. And I literally didn't say a word. And I was approached. I never approached anybody. Like I, I was just trying to hope that nobody really noticed my game yet. Because to me, I felt like it was completely not even ready to be looked at. I, I was afraid that somebody was going to find it and go, hey, let me look at your game. And I'm like, no, it's not ready. <laughs> so uh, it's, but however, Zach got a hold of me. And I it, from then on, it's just, I mean, it's been crazy ever since then. I mean, he's really like the motivation to, to work even harder has been there. So I've been getting a lot more work done and, and I've actually been putting a little bit of effort, a little into promoting. I've done a few screenshot Saturdays, made a few little video clips, but not like a lot of people. Like I haven't gone crazy. Like you see so many other devs probably in, in at the same stage I am who are literally doing 10 times as much marketing as I am. So I have no idea how I got here because I have done I, so little. I, I really find it a, a strange thing that um, you can you can get a lot done not really marketing anything, you know, it, and I'm a big believer to be honest with you. And it's better to show off a, uh, you know, wait for the big reveal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, very, well, I come uh, from the music industry, so that's kind of, right. you know, that's how you had to do it. You, you weren't showing off. Oh, Hey, here's my new riff that might be in a song. You know, you yeah. weren't sending, you were sending out completed stuff that wowed them because you had, you know, 30 seconds, 15 to 30 seconds at most. And if you didn't bang, like bang it hard and, and really blow their minds, you were just pass. I'm, so I'm that was kind of my mentality about this game is when I, I, I wanted it to just like, whoa, where did this come from? That looks pretty ho awesome. Hopefully was, you know, what I was going for. And so big believer I'm, I'm all yeah. about like, yeah, wait, quality wait man. Time is right. First impressions hey. are everything. Agreed. Um, but I've been proved proven wrong so many times now. Oh, like yeah, bridge burner, your, your, your good old pal bridge burner is the best example of this. He literally live streams every yeah. bit of his progress. You know? That takes and balls, man. I could not imagine. Okay. I, I wouldn't get I, shit done if I was, I can't believe he gets anything done. I tried a long time ago, streaming some of my development and I literally got nothing done. That's how he like, that's how he gets his motivation though. Arlene too, be in a very similar vein they soak up the the will to yeah. create from being you know knowing that there's pressure on them there's people watching total opposite man i'm i'm very much like i'm most productive when it's just me and whoever i need to talk to or just yep. me by myself yeah that's when i get everything done total silence same with me I cannot do it yeah that's why i tend to work like at night um you know, my wife will be usually be sleeping when I'm getting most of my work done because, you know, I just, I need to focus. And a lot of times you're involved in stuff that you just can't be interrupted or you just lose your whole place of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, and especially being a solo developer, cause there's, you know, just so many things you have to do and take care of and learn and keep track of. And, ugh, you know, I don't recommend like trying to do what I'm doing right now for anybody's, you know, like for anybody, honestly, <laughs> get a partner, or make a smaller game. Serious. Why not? You know, why not? Just uh, balls, deep, balls deep. Just, just let them swing, you know? Yeah, well, 
Hey, I am all for everybody trying that. I just, I don't recommend it. Just kind of like when someone comes to you and says, yeah, I want to make an RPG MMO as their first game, you know, like, no, don't do it. Dude, don't do it. Ask don't, me, ask me about call of Ragnar. I'll tell you. Well, yeah, but there are always exceptions to the rule. There is always those insane people out there who are willing to just do it, you know, like myself. I, I mean, I'm one of them. I can't, I'm sitting here talking against my own self, you know, <laughs> I, I actually think about this a lot because people will, will warn people and I've done it too. I'm like, Oh no, don't do that. You know, it's not worth it, whatever. But the, the dividing factor is not whether or not it's hard to do. Everything's hard to do. Everything right. worth doing is hard to do. Yeah. To me, it's like the dividing factor is willingness. Like if you really want it, you know, people, people ask me, and I'm sure you've been through this too, but people see you play the guitar and they're like, Oh, how did you get so good? You know, how, you know, I don't think I could ever do that. Blah, blah, blah. All the, see the neck right there. (laughs) And they're like, they always ask like, how did you learn how to play? And I taught myself how to play when I was like 11 years old. I just locked myself in a room and I decided I'm going to play the guitar. And then, and I came out on the other side of that knowing how to play. Yep. And people are like, how did you learn? I'm like, I wanted it. Yeah. I looked at my heroes. Tenacity. I I just wanted it. And if you don't just want it like a hundred percent that you're willing to put in the work yeah. to do it, you will not be successful. Nope. If you do, then you will period. Yeah. There's it's, no, it's, you gotta be willing to climb Mount Everest. That, that's yeah. it. I mean, that's essentially if, you know, you can't just go, I want to, I want to make base camp. No, right. you, you, uh, you know, if you want to do it, you gotta go to the top. You gotta aim for the top. Because that's pretty much, you know, anytime you want to do something, especially like game development, I, this, I've done music and studio stuff. This is the hardest thing I've ever done, man. This is literally the hardest thing I've ever done. I've learning all, I've had to learn all of this from, cause I, I came from Arma modding, right. And you know, everything was, I, I had no idea how to use unity. I had never done any 3d modeling. So I had started blender in Arma just at the tail end, started making stuff. Cause I had another guy who was working with me. So I started learning it and that's when I actually started. So all of this stuff that I'm doing now, I've learned along the way. So it's been one hell of a fucking journey. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So in our little break there, we got on the topic of swearing. Um, So I remember I was about maybe 16 hanging out with, with old mom, mom, Brandon. Kay, I love you very much. I apologize for the rest of this podcast. We were watching uh, the movie Reservoir Dogs, which is one of my favorite oh, movies ever. Oh, hell yeah. Quentin, baby. You know, and, and and she was just, you know, she was enjoying the movie. She's like, I just don't understand. You know, my grandmother's an old Southern lady, and she she has her beliefs, and I respect them. She's like, I just don't understand why they got to swear so much. I'm like, Mama, they are bank robbers. They are criminals. How do you expect them to talk? Like, what would you think that bank robbers talk like? Like, What do you think that criminals and sinners and dirty, awful, rotten people sound like when they speak to each other? Exactly. (laughs) And I'm like, they they say the F word, every other word. And that's not just, that's not just dirty, rotten, stinking old people. That's like, I think people who aren't bound by the, uh, this idea that they have to play by the rules. Right. You know, that, that could be far more than just legality or, or morality even. It's just, I think a lot of people in, in life 
get caught up in this idea that they have to just follow a certain path and, and behave like other people in order to be seen as a member of the tribe. To yeah. Um, I never found my tribe with those people. I found my tribe with people like you and me. And, and uh, the part of the journey that I want to go down with you on this podcast is to talk about your musicianship because it's a big part of your life. Yeah. Um, you're definitely not um, for your age, you know, young. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're not like my parents. Uh, and a lot of the folks that I ended up being, MK Schmidt's another great example, someone that I've, I've grown very fond of through the podcast, but you did not play by the rules. You didn't go by the same beaten path and you've found mm. yourself in a, in a, you know, a potential, very, very strong potential from the looks of your game career path of doing something totally new and different. And um, I'm curious, like what's been your, you know, from, from when you were growing up, like what did you see for yourself and how did you end up here? Man, I always wanted to be a rock star. Like from day one, um, I was, I used to take cardboard boxes and like, uh, back in the day you get the tuna cans and they had like a little plastic lid so i would take little tuna cans with those plastic lids coffee cans with the plastic lids and i'd cut this cardboard box with slots just big enough for the cans to sit in and i'd tip that thing up and i'd play it with chopsticks and i would do that for hours and hours and then um eventually um i was we were living in this little duplex up on the hill and and the our landlord was this older hippie couple so they would watch me for about an hour and a half after school before my mom got home. And he was a folk guitar player. And because I was obviously just fascinated by anybody who could play any musician, any mu uh, instrument in front of me, I was just fascinated. And he started showing me things and I just naturally picked it up really quick. So fortunately, I had very supportive parents who realized that I had something going on with the music thing and they were very supportive and, and allowed me to kind of go off that beaten path, like you said. So I actually did it with support, not like a lot of people end up having to do it against the grain with their parents. I still had the support, but it was still very much against the grain. And I did a lot of stupid shit that my parents, you know, did not support. <laughs> so no, it's, 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 a, it's a both ways thing. Like my parents are not awful people. They were really, really cool uh, for the most part, you know, with, with exceptions. Yeah. But they they realized like, uh, when I said for my eleventh birthday, like I want a bass guitar. That's what I want to do. And my mom knew me well enough at that point to know that like I'm committing to something. And right. when I do, I mean, when I said I was going to do a Boomer Shooter podcast, I meant it. That kind of thing. Right. Um. So, so I got a bass guitar, a cheap one. You know, nothing special. It was yeah. like a little Dean like starter bass, and I learned how to play it. And I remember kind of the moment when music really sunk into me i always liked music i was always like yeah i think everybody innately likes music if you're with the exception of like scumhead yeah. maybe the one person i know who just doesn't like to have music on yeah i've met i've met very few people that actually don't like music i mean i've met a I, lot of people that are like they're not like i would say you know into music but they listen to music and they're aware of a genre that they like but you know they're not ones to go oh you know x and x band is my favorite you know, right. I went and, and saw them at a concert or I bought their record. <laughs> and, and music's not just about bands or commercialism or buying music or whatever. It's, it's I think it's innately part of the human experience. Absolutely. Right? Like it, every ritual that has to do with humans has something to do with, with some sort of musical. It moves you. Uh, 
endeavors. It, right? it evokes emotion. It evokes responses yeah. and spirituality. I mean, it literally anything that's, you know, meaningful in your life. Think about it. You probably associate it with a song. Right. Or a smell. Or, <laughs> yeah, well, or a smell. But I mean, <laughs> music is such a huge part of everybody's life, whether they know it or not. Yeah. And to that, to that, my, my parents realized that that was important to me very early on. So like, I, I can't say that they didn't support me through it. They don't necessarily know that they like understood how important it was, but right. they knew that it was like, this is worth investing in our child on. And so I'm very blessed that they were like, you know, let's buy him that guitar. You know, let's, let's yep. encourage him to do that. Let's put him in band class. Let's buy him a trumpet, like all that kind of shit. Even though I hated, I hated the trumpet. I hated yeah. the band. I That's hated the funny whole you say you play at the trumpet, dude. I played, okay. We were trying to get, I want, you know, I had to, you had to get the instrument for band. Right. And I wanted to play saxophone, but obviously, yeah. you know, we were late to the party and, and all the saxophones were gone. So guess what I got mm -hmm. stuck with trumpet. I, uh, oh, I too played trumpet. <laughs> I wanted to play the drums, but you know, like every, every Me kid too. getting ready for a middle school band. They're like, I got a guitar you know, instead. Drums. Um, they were like, yeah, well, we can only take so many drummers. So, like, I think you'd be a good trumpet player. You're gonna be a trumpet player, okay? Yeah. Fine. Um, but I learned how to read music from that, and I learned. I, I, I really, honestly, if you put sheet music in front of me now, I would have no idea what you're. I have about. completely forgotten how to read sheet music. Yeah. So, don't but I it. understood at that point uh, music theory. Like, I got right. how it worked because yeah. of that. And so, when I picked up the guitar, I had a. Uh, I had a very real understanding of what I was doing with it, even though I didn't understand the instrument itself. Right. And it changed my life forever. You know, I, I can't even imagine not sitting down and picking on the guitar once, a, at least once a day. Right. You know, that's, it's like a huge therapeutic, uh, motivating factor. Like that's how I work out a lot of my problems. If I can, it's one of those things like, it's like I have a garden too. And it, if you ever if you ever been through therapy, they'll often tell you to like, you know, don't worry about the things that you can't change. You know, right. this is like that's the uh, the serenity prayer. Even, don't worry about the things that you can't actually change. Focus on something that you can manipulate. And music is one of those things that it's like it's a hundred percent coming from you. Yep. If you sit down, and you play something on guitar. No one can take that away from you. Yeah, no it's can yours. Change that. Hundred yeah. percent yours. And the only thing standing between you and doing something that you want to do on it is learning how to do it or figuring it out. And, and that just takes will. Amazing. You know, will and tenacity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and it's, it, it is, music got me through a lot of, a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, without music, I probably wouldn't be here to be honest. You know, what's the music that uh, got you motivated? Like when, like for what, like, Cause I, I've, well, I've gone through different stages, you know, I mean, if you had to pick a song that was like, or a band or whatever, that was like this, this is what I want to do. That made you think like music is good. Music is my path. Oh, on, it, to, it was kiss. Kiss was like my, my first, cause I, I got a hold of, see, I was, I was lucky that my parents just gave me their record collection. So, I mean, I had stuff, you know, like Janis Joplin and, you know, Jim Croce and, and Cher and, and just I, like I just the most amazing. I have actually had the the, Jan, the original Janis dropping with the uh, record ball company record, the one with all the crazy artwork and everything on it. But I just had a huge Jim Croce so much. Oh, me too, man. And, and but he was very instrumental in my guitar, like me glomming to the guitar when I realized I was not going to get drums. 
Peter Chris was who made me want to be a drummer. Um, but yeah, I would say like my first thing that really just grabbed me by the nads and said, this is what you want, boy, is, is Kiss. Kiss was, I mean, I know I come from a totally different generation, but like I grew up in that like VH1 classic kind of thing. My, my mom's favorite band was Molly Crew and like Def Leppard, stuff like that. Yep. And, and Kiss was a very obvious thing for me to get into because it wasn't like, it wasn't going to offend her, right? you know, that I liked Kiss. And for whatever reason, that just very much resonated with me. I, I, I still, to this day, I have vinyl records downstairs. I have like, you know, Love Gun. I have uh, Harder Than Hell, all that, all that stuff. You and, and lucky sucker. I'm, see guys, this is the swearing part. I'm going to go ahead and say, you lucky son of a bitch. Those things are amazing. I would, I would, I would do things for those. So, I, I mean, I'll no. send them to you if it means that much to you, but. <laughs> I just no. You keep those, man. That's the the, the breakdown to down. hotter than hell. Hotter than hell. Yeah, just I mean, awoke. Like, that's a Gene and Paul. Visceral. That's just like classic Gene and Paul. You know what I mean? Like just yes. Oh, yeah. No, I I grew up on like that. You know, so the Kiss Kiss obviously took you know loudest band in the world, and they wore makeup. You know, when I was a young kid, and they were doing like the TV specials, and everybody was trying to figure out who they were. And it wasn't like it wasn't just the music, because I mean, you know, I love Kiss, but musically they're not super complicated. You know, they're very meat and potatoes, just get her done, rock and roll. It's awesome. I love it. There's an argument to be made there. Okay. And I will say, yes, there are nuances and things like that, but man, they're just, they know they're like, they're like kind of like Motley Crue. They just know. Nikki six is an amazing songwriter. I mean, first of all, mm -hmm. let me just say that, you know, so yeah. he just knows. And it's the same thing with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. They just knew where to go wow. with the chords, exactly what to do. They could take the cheesiest subject and, and make you want to stand up and chant it with them. The, the thing with Kiss is that they are tremendous music. Ace Freely is a tremendous guitar oh, player. I Peter love Chris Ace. Is a tremendous drummer. And Gene Simmons, as much as I hate to say this about him, <laughs> because I don't want to say anything nice about Gene Simmons, is He's a marketing a, genius. First of all, one of the greatest marketers who ever. Yeah. Played, like, well, but he was a great bass player. I mean, he really did some special things on the bass until he realized that he didn't have to work hard to make uh, money. Listen, listen. Like, um, listen to uh... Detroit Rock City. <laughs> Detroit Rock City, come on. That oh, is some... The the, not the radio. Bass. No, and no, no, not no. the radio. The full ed with the car and everything. But with the car radio where he gets in the car, you know, and the oh, whole... Oh, man. Like, when I heard that, it was the, one of the greatest things I had ever heard on record was the guy I'm... getting in the car, the door shutting, starting the car listening to him on the radio. Like, I mean, I was just like, I was in that car and then the skid and the crash. Oh, I told you, like I, I wanted to be a bass player. I wanted to be a bass player because like, I thought the coolest people in bands were bass players. No, and <laughs> no, maybe not. But like, it, you know, like you were talking about Nikki six and Gene Simmons, like these are the coolest guys in their bands. No, that's the reason they were the coolest guy in the band. They were the ones writing all the songs. They had to write all the songs. The only reason they were left in the band. Bass players aren't cool. No, I, I kid. I no, love bass players. You go say that to Les Claypool's face. Actually, here I'll check. I'm going to give you something to look up. It's very unique. You probably it, it was a band I played with a long, long time ago, and they rolled through my town. It was called Inspector Clouseau, and they had this record, and it was the tour for Fuck the Bass Player, because the bass <laughs> player shafted them, 
And they went out with just the drummer and the guitar player. It was one of the most amazing shows I'd ever seen. And they did a record on it. And it's called Fuck the Bass Player. But they're a French band, Funnier Than Hell, Inspector Clouseau. Well, even uh, I mean, just to use another iconic example, Metallica. Like, imagine the first three Metallica albums without Cliff Burton. Oh, uh, yeah. He, I don't think know, they would have. I don't think they would have had the heat unless they. Yeah, but if, unless they would have got like Newstead, which would have been you know like again another lightning in the bottle striking because Newstead's something special too. There, but, but I have I a tremendous respect for bass players, man. I really love. Oh, it. I do too. I love the bass guitar. Like I really love it. And and what I'm getting at here anyway with Kiss is that Gene was a great bass player until he until the moment he realized he didn't have to play the bass really well to make a great song. That's right. And that's that's what as you were saying, like they they kind of went on this like okay let's just write really fucking simple bullshit and like with catchy tunes and no one will care. Yeah, that's true. Like they, they did make a lot of money doing that, but hey, lick it up, uh, baby. The musicianship <laughs> in that band up in, like, for the first like five records is not anything to be laughed at. They were no, great. no, 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 no. I mean, like Beth. I mean, come on, you know. I mean, Detroit Rock City, uh, uh, Slow Gin. I mean, there's a, a Love Gun. Cold I mean, gin, yeah. Cold Gin. Sorry, Love Gun. Um, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself. I'm so old, man. Dude, I'm so old, man. I have I I forget like half the songs of all these bands I grew up on. You know what I mean? I just like, <laughs> I hope that I'm improving myself later. Like I don't, I don't want to be no, like a you're... fucking poser. I'm a no, Kiss fan. I'm a huge no, you, fan. you're pulling shit out of the of, of the basement of Kiss. So no, you, I, I I got respect. I got respect. Uh, one of like, I've forgotten of more than I know anymore. Pretty <laughs> so. One one of the coolest things about them though was just that, I, and I I separate like I, I kind of like there's the first several Kiss albums, and then there's everything after that, and and then there's nowadays it's just like it's become such a commodified fucking corporate bullshit thing that like who cares anymore? But like that those first records were really special to me. Yeah, like they, they were really fantastic. Turned me on. They formulated my early musical years. I mean, they're the ones yeah. who turned me on to rock and roll and the loudest band in the world. I mean, the the goal of my first band was to be as loud as possible. And it, I would have not had that attitude that swing it out there and go big or go home if if not for Kiss. So, I mean, you know, but the point where you talk about like there's a switch and you pointed it out exactly when that switch happened. And that was when Gene realized that he didn't have to, to be a great bass player and write really complicated, you know, quality music to sell records. So agreed. agreed. 100%. And it's really sad when you see musicians and bands get to the point where like they can just, you know, release a record of farting and it sells a million copies, you know, like, like they can do anything and just can't do any wrong. And the same thing applies to video games. Yeah. That's Absolutely, that's exactly what's going on in the AAA industry Ugh. now. Is they they've realized like we don't have to even no. publish it. We don't. They don't. We don't even. Man, they don't even got to show gameplay during their trailers anymore. Like I they just got to <laughs> like you know they could literally have like one like still image that just slowly pans in while an epic soundtrack plays and a couple of and maybe a voiceover says this game is badass in every way, and that's boom you know buy me. And people are like, God, give me your money. You know, I'll give you my money. It's like, yeah. so. Uh, what, what are some other uh, bands that, you know, let's just go through. Foo the Fighters. Foo Dude, Fighters? For, like my all-time favorite band is Foo Fighters because I think Dave Grohl is one of the greatest songwriters. What a controversial take. 
Uh, well, I um, man, the guy just he just if you look at the way Foo Fighters songs are put together and like because I I love to play them. Oh man, I mean, did did you the dude just knows how to write a fucking hit? I mean, he's a hit machine. And, and I hate to say it, but about Nickelback, but back when they were in the day, they were hit machines too. I mean, granted, that was back when everybody was kind of regurgitating that same crap, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. But you have to respect them from an artist standpoint of they got out there and they made a shitload of money. The one Foo Fighters... In, a, in, in an environment that's really hard to make money right now. Because music, they've yeah. almost sucked literally every possible way for artists to make money out of this industry now. That's what's terrible. Foo but, Fighters yeah. wasting light really like i i was into that record very much so like that had some great musicianship and, and that's not to say that all their other records didn't like, it was just like the one record that i like okay foo fighters are cool right now i'll go buy one of the records and it was that was the one um but yeah dave Grohl, interesting cat man he's been through a lot yes he's been through a lot of life. um you know the first the the demo that you know got that got foo fighters going he did that as you know a therapeutic thing after kurt died you know, cause mm. he was, he was not the same cat after that, man. You know, like it was kind of like when, you know, how the whole scene changed after Lane died up here, you know, cause I'm from the Pacific Northwest. So, and you know, I, I was in up... Seattle like a month and a half ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, next time, man, let me know. Yeah. Um, but you know, so I grew up around, you know, I mean, shit, I was playing music when, you know, Pearl Jam was still Mookie Blaylock, you know, in like 90 and shit. So, you know, it was an interesting time between say like, you know, eighties, six and like 92 ish you know you had allison chains just starting up um you know you had it's like so many bands that were just ready to blow up and it was all just everybody was playing together and bands were changing out and then boom it just like all happened overnight so and then Foo Fighters it ended overnight <laughs> because they were like a, a later thing but like of those of those 90s pnw bands who was who was your favorite um, well, I can't really say that Foo Fighters were necessarily like, I don't even, I don't know if you can really consider them a PNW band. Cause you know, I'm excluding them because they're, Oh, like, that's just, Oh, the only connection is Dave. Right. You know? Um, you know, I think as far as just musicianship and, and the vibe, I, I was really into Alice in Chains, you know, yeah. Lane was a really, really cool cat. Um, it was really sad. Um, the end of, you know, running into him towards the end. Um, but I really loved, you know, their vibe. I'm a little, I don't, I don't even want to say, you know, it's the thing is like, it's, it's when it's hard to talk about music sometimes. And when you're, you know, in a community like this one, especially, you know, you have to realize that up here in the Pacific Northwest, I mean, grunge started here. We essentially converted the whole world from the eighties party, good time, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Everybody's having a great time. We're all happy to instantly, we're all depressed and want to shoot ourselves because the grunge movement started. So it's a really weird topic to kind of talk about up here because, you know, there's so much that happened and originated here. So you kind of, certain topics are a little taboo. So, but man, it was interesting up here coming from like, you know, doing music up here. I mean, I was growing up in the, in, you know, going to school in the two thousands and stuff. And so this was like kind of the generation after that, you know, uh, but the generation after that was, as you, you already kind of noted on the, the Foo Fighters, the Nickelbacks, the, the, the big yeah. radio bands that kind of took that sound and then like, eh, commercialized it 
yeah. made it like not like a not this innocent thing anymore. Uh, so what happened with my generation and a lot of my friends was that people were very much into Nirvana and they were into it because the lore was already written for us at that point. We already yeah. knew what was going to happen because it had already happened. Yep. Um, but that sound was like very much part of our childhood. So Alice in Chains was a huge influence on all the rock bands that I yeah. was in. You know, when I was in high school, that's Alice in Chains is always on that list. Tool, uh, not that they were PNW stuff, but just that era of right. rock music and uh the biggest one for me was stone temple pilots i yeah. was in love Man. with them they're the greatest another, show i've ever seen to this yeah day. and another very sad story you know even sadder because he didn't he didn't go the same way you know he didn't go yeah. in this like quick fast way he was like this is what happens when you let that go unchecked for 30 yep. years. Yeah. That's what happens when your handlers fail you. Yeah. That's in, you know, and I, and I get it because, um, certain individuals can be kind of hard to deal with, you know, when they get to a certain point and, you know, you want to help them, but you, you have to be careful because you can only push yourselves on them so much without literally kind of getting to the point where you almost just got to like, you know, put your arms around and just pick them up and say, okay, off you go we're going to rehab and I mean, so i stood in in a crowd for three hours probably to see scott perform and he's an amazing guy man i mean when he hit the stage he hit it dude mm -hmm. it was the best oh, yeah. live show i've ever seen yeah and i've seen a lot of great bands dude but i mean promise was fantastic i could go down the list oh, I've yeah, seen yeah. Meet puppets live i've seen slayer live i've seen all the all the fucking greats that i can possibly have dreamed of seeing uh, thank god i saw a lot of stuff before covid um scott was special like he really yes. was yeah he that was. was it if i if i had a movie about my life i would start it with the moment where i was running to the stage to see that band right like that's and where it all started that that's like you know if i had to really make a movie about my life that would be the opening scene is like stone Temple pilots is playing and me and my buddy are sprinting to the stage to see them yep. and he was so amazing so wonderful like his the whole performance was fantastic and but to know the pain he was going through yeah in order to make that happen and just think about this like yeah even though you know and i know that a lot of this is kind of what drives it you know because i know as a musician you know we take our our personal demons and, and, you know, we, we, some of us are more honest than others. You know, some of them have, some of us have more balls than others to really put it out there and, and, and be willing to go have people look at it and go, is that about you? Cause you yeah. know, you know, as a songwriter, that's kind of one of, uh, one of the things, you know, is, is how much do you want to give yourself away? You know, how much, how open and honest do you want to be? And, and Scott was really open and honest in the way he wrote about stuff. And in a way that a lot of people are not comfortable. So that's something that happened with Chester Bennington too. Yeah. And who ended up replacing Scott and Saltable Pilots, the cursed lead singer. You want to know Scott. something's funny? Is Chester sounds exactly like me. And I say that because I'm older than he is, but literally we sound identical. I could have replaced him in that band. Like if in you like know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just weird. I'd that was exactly my voice. Crazy. I, I was never a big Linkin Park fan. Like, I, I mean, I knew their music that was very popular for, for my, my group and all yeah. that. But like when he, when he did the thing, I was like, 
did you guys people were surprised and like did you not hear the lyrics that man wrote yeah you know and, like, and that's the thing you know you, like i was saying with the giving yourself away you know how much do you do and certain artists give it away and it and you know it's a shame when people don't recognize that like you said he he's he was saying it but in a way uh, to be to try to make light of it like he was kind of a martyr you know yeah uh, he woke a lot of people up yeah, a lot of people who were going through the same problems he went. You know, for every you know, for the fact that he killed himself, there's probably a lot of people who heard his music and didn't because of his music. Exactly. Yeah, and and, and I hope that's the positive. Yep. And to think of it. you know, to think of the, the the greatness of the art they created because of that pain. You know, that'll live on forever. So, yeah. you know, we get we get to to have that always. So, you know, great thing about music. Let me turn y'all guys up there in the, in the PNW onto something. It's called vitamin D. Uh, yeah. Very, very important. You should definitely be getting your vitamin D. Yeah. Well, um, up here, you know, we just started getting a little bit of sun. So now I get to go out and get a little bit of color, you know, come out of my dude, cave. It was 115 in Tucson today. Man. My wife dragged me out to the swimming pool. Like we had, it, I, I, I'm, look at me. You know, I don't. I don't go to the pool. I'm not. You're I'm black and white on my screen, so I I am black and white in real life, to be honest. Okay, with you. <laughs> yeah, so I can't tell how tan you are, but you you do appear not, to not be as 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 translucent as myself. Very, <laughs> very, very Irish. You know, lots of lots and lots of Irish in this blood. Dude, you know, my, my skin is paper. I'm, I'm part Irish too. No shit. Uh, it's nope. uh, I'm, I'm Native American and Irish. That's my that's my combination. So when we were out there, uh, so the whole reason we, we visited Seattle, I have a couple of buddies that are up there in the pot business and stuff. And we're just like hanging out and getting, catching up with them. Like uh, we went out to Forks, Washington because my wife is a huge <laughs> Twilight, fan. Twilight fan. Yeah. I took my and, wife out there too. Yeah. And, and oh, so shit. We, remind me to tell you when you're done, remind me to tell you a little story about what happened when we were out there. Cause no, I, you go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, you know how they have Bella's truck, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, posing posing for a picture and i accidentally broke the antenna <laughs> so it, it flops out now because of me but it was barely on there i swear that like, they only had like some tape or something on the bottom to hold it in the little slot but yeah i was just kind of leaned up and and hit it with my elbow and boop and oh yeah so i broke I'm sure, I'm sure you're not the only person who's broken that antenna i, I like, broke her antenna but <laughs> We go out there, you know, and I, I'd be honest with you. I fucking hate Seattle. Fuck Seattle right <laughs> up the ass. That city sucks. It does. Dicks. It's. I'm right with people, you. Too little spot. Right with you. Yeah. Right with too you. Too little and, of a place. Yeah. And there's no parking. It costs you like a hundred bucks to park anywhere. Everybody's yeah. just drives like a complete douche. Fuck that place. It, it's raining all the time. It's crappy. It's just. Eh. But the Olympic Peninsula, dude. Get the! I would live there a hundred percent. That's beautiful. Everybody's cool. It, you know, like it's yeah. just gorgeous forest everywhere. The air is fresh. Like, there, I can't even think of a better place to live. Yeah, like, I don't um, live anywhere near the city, man. I I live I live out in the foothills of the Cascades. So, dude, yeah, you know, oh, I'm out in the boonies and the mountains. Yeah, I love it out here. I would not. You couldn't pay me to live in Seattle, my man. You could not pay me enough to live down there. Mm-mm. it'd have to be some serious do re me with like a serious spread that was isolated from the entire city. <laughs> no, no. Like my, my two best friends from high school, like I, I went off and did my thing. 
they both ended up in Seattle doing doing the business like pot, pot stuff and all that kind of crap. And you know, it sounded great. You know, like all my favorite bands are from there. It must be nice. Like, first of all, I hate cities. Period, man. I don't like dealing with traffic. I don't like dealing with two. I don't like it when people start to devalue each other. When, right. when there's when there's enough people that you don't think of every person that you interact with is important. Yeah. I'm kind of out of it at that point. Yeah. But no, no, would never, not even, not, not for a million, million dollars. I couldn't live in that place. I feel like most of the interesting things about, you know, Seattle are gone. So, you know, it's, there's not really like the Pike place market's still pretty cool, I guess. I don't know. I haven't been there post pandemic, so I have no idea what survived and what didn't. They had a pretty cool little magic shop and a comic book shop down there that was really worth going to. But other than that, that was about it. I enjoyed the Mopof. That was neat, man. Like I had to see all my favorite movie memorabilia and all that crap. But oh yeah, yeah, the little. Are you? Did you go to Pike Place? Um, I don't remember. Uh, I, EMP. I we have EMP, but you know EMP is like I feel like EMP is so overrated. It, the museum that's right next to the, the one that looks like some weird needle. thing. Yeah. yeah. That's, that yeah. was, I was like, all right, I've had enough of this fucking city. Let's go somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. See, right. and all these, all this shit I'm saying right now is literally gonna, gonna not winning me any points from my vet, my brethren up here. I'm just saying, like, I'm probably gonna, oh, any, man. any of my brethren up here see this podcast, they're gonna be like, dude. <laughs> to kind of, to kind of get back on topic a little bit more though. Um, how did all of this stuff, the, the music, the the environment that you grew up in, everything, did any of it play into the game at all? Well, the music for sure. Um, it, it's you know, it's going to allow me to do my own music for the game, so I'll be able to have fun doing that. Um, I don't know, um, not really. I think it just I've always um, always had kind of a nerdy side. So you know, I used to play with like the Commodore Vic Twenty and the Commodore Sixty Four and do the little programs and stuff. So, but I was never really like serious about it. Um, it was always just kind of something I would do if I got near it for any period of time. So at some point, I did, you know, because at some point I had to have you know a career. You know, music doesn't pay the bills usually. So. Um, during that time I was doing it cause it just, I was good at computers. Um, and, uh, during that time I did a little bit of, you know, this and that programming and da, 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 da. And I just, so I've always had kind of programming ish things and arty stuff in my background. And, um, after, uh, I stopped performing and, you know, stopped doing studio stuff cause I just got tired of dealing with pretentious musicians, to be honest. I mean, you know, I just, and sucked all the life out of me. I just didn't like anymore. And I was like, you know, I need to do something different. And I was thinking to myself, ah, well, you know, I was modding at the time and having a good time. And I decided to start just kind of focusing on that. And I was in a good position, you know, financially to take on something like this. And here I am. I just started learning. I'm a voracious learner. It's very interesting to me, uh, interesting to me because I love a challenge. I am. So it just is right up my alley. I don't know. Kind of came natural, I guess. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's very interesting how the different paths that people take to get into game development because it can be a lot of different things. Um, that's true of any career, but it's especially true, I think, of, of game development in that it could be anywhere from someone like you who's been you know through career paths, done a lot of different stuff, gone through life, or it could be um, a 19-year-old who's 
just living in their parents' house still right. figuring it out and, and going all in on their idea. And it could be someone who's was encouraged, someone who was totally told that they could never do it. Um, this is a wide, wide range of uh, personalities. And I think it's because it's really accessible. You know, yeah. it's anybody Especially who now. can give it yeah. a shot, you know. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, you got so many, I mean, you can learn anything on Google. <laughs> so it's that kind of accessibility was not there, you know, 15 years ago. Um, you had to read these terrible tomes about things that just were so mind-numbingly boring that it was very hard to get through. It was very hard to digest unless you were just super tenacious. And, you know, the calling of music just kept pulling me away. And so... But I will say, though, that, that my background in music and studio work and dealing with, you know, just all that stuff has given me, I think, a lot of insight into this career through I know how, you know, publisher, you know, like I'm, I'm going to obviously I'm not they're probably not exactly the same, but the, the mechanics of how a deal comes together. I'm fully aware of how all that works. Um, yeah. I'm also fully aware of realistic expectations. Um, so you know, everything has to be manageable. And I've already kind of gained a pretty thick skin through music. Um, because obviously, you know, I mean, if you've ever been on stage and had someone yell out, you suck. Um, you know, you have to have thick skin to get to get through that. So, you know, I've, I've cut my teeth and I've built up that thick skin. I've got a pretty a good idea how the industry works and, and not to be, you know, um, fooled by the bright lights. You know, there's always someone standing behind the bright lights, pointing the bright light at you, and you have to figure out what they're doing too. So, you know, it, a lot of people are starstruck by a lot of stuff, you know, and, and they get themselves stuck in, in things that they don't need to be in. And I feel like my experience with the studio stuff and the music stuff has kind of really made it uh, easy for me to make, to, to identify that stuff and avoid it. So I mean, I probably have not made some as many pitfalls as, as I would have had I not had that experience. Okay, so the next thing that I on that topic really that I have to kind of tackle with you is I think a lot of game developers, uh, especially younger guys, could could use your wisdom in terms of how deals get made and how people will try to take advantage of you. Really, um, it's a huge problem. I see it every fucking day, and it, it makes me sick. And I hear yeah. uh, a lot of these indie devs that I end up interviewing talk about some of the shitty, shitty publishing deals that they get uh, sucked into or tricked into or duped into. And it's, it's, ugh. so what's, what's your insight? What, what's the stuff that you look out for? Well, um, you have to have to kind of look at it as I guess, kind of an economy. Um, and it, the more people out there looking for a deal puts more buying power in the hands of the deal makers because mm -hmm. they have more to choose from. So that makes it very competitive to start with. And then you get people who are just perhaps maybe, you know, ambition is great and, and everybody's, you know, got their level of ambition, but some people are going to have a little bit more of um, a willingness to bite on any hook that gets dangled in front of them, regardless of what's on the hook. Now, what can end up happening is, not necessarily looking at the entire the totality of the deal. It's kind of how music, a lot of people in the music industry ended up selling millions of records and not making any money. 
you know, um, there are there are ways to work deals and word deals to where they're giving you a little or maybe they're not really giving you anything, but they're taking a lot. And one of the, the first things you have to avoid is giving up the rights to like in music, you never give up your publishing. Never. Because once you give that up, they own your stuff. So you don't give up the rights to your IP. You don't give up the rights to, unless that's what you're looking to do. I mean, unless you're looking to completely just like sell out, you know, take a big, hey, here's a million dollars for your IP. That's that's a different deal. But if you're signing some sort of a publishing deal where they're only giving you, say, you know, a little bit of cash and, and then, of course, some minor support and they want to take control of your IP, that's a bad deal, you know. So I think you have to be very almost like it's almost like a paranoid sort of you almost have to kind of go into it expecting it to be sort of a bad deal be, and let it prove itself to be a good deal to be safe these days because there's so many shady people out there just looking to present themselves in a way that they're not bigger than they are um and if you don't read the fine print and really do your research you can get stuck giving away your stuff to some shady people so it's it's just about being diligent and not being starstruck by the first thing that comes along you know that's it i mean i think that's a lot of mainly a lot of common sense but yeah it's it's interesting because there is a really strong presence at least in our little community um, you know talk to people like bridge burner talking to people like you know fred schreiber there's a lot of people who really do believe in just being transparent and honest about what, what's a good deal. You know, what, what are we doing? Yeah. going to do for you? What could you do for us? Right. Uh, for me, it's just like, you know, before we started the podcast, uh, I was like, I'm not going to try to publish anything that you're not proud of. I don't, I don't have any interest in uh, benefiting off of someone else's uh, pain or yeah. lack, you know, whatever. But that I think that's a generational thing, potentially. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's plenty of people my age who. Oh, are we have enough people doing around. that. Yeah, yeah. But, but for some reason in the gaming industry, uh, clearly there's a presence of the, the the ugly, nasty deals. A lot of them come from Russia, surprisingly enough. Yeah. Um, but there's just a lot of people who are just like, no, nah, I, I scumhead's a good example. It's just like. Yeah, I mean, I designed the whole game, but like, I just think that the, the sound designer and the, the musicians should be paid, you know, equal percentages. Me because, like, yeah. ah, whatever, you know, thirty. I'm like, you're gonna give them thirty three percent of your fucking game because you think that they contributed that much to it. And he's like, well, I couldn't have done without them. So yeah, three three ways. I'm like, what a fucking guy. Yeah, you know, who's if gonna that get model that works? Fantastic, game? right? I mean, um, we have the flexibility of the indies to do that, which is what I think mm -hmm. makes us in such a unique spot it's it's weird but then for that you know for every deal like that you see someone who's like uh well you know they take 50 percent, and then they they don't pay anything to us until we earn back their, in, their initial investment and yeah. uh, to me that's like being slapped in the face that's literally like if you're not willing to pay them until they pay you back everything you invested in them. Like I get it from a monetary standpoint, like from a business standpoint, makes perfect sense to me from a, uh, ethical standpoint. That's like, that's literally you saying, I don't believe in you. 
I don't think that what you have to do is worth anything to me. If you're not willing to take a risk on someone that you're investing in, then you're not really investing in them. You're just protecting yourself. Also, just a quick side note about that. Um, That also says something else about the company. That says that Mm -hmm. the company may not be financially viable to actually even do something like that. So again, you have a company that's overextended, doing more, offering more than they, you know, writing checks they they can't cash, essentially. (laughs) And, a check that you're yeah, because that if it's a legit company and they legit believe in your product, they should have no problem giving you a portion of the sales right off the bat. Agreed. You know, that's got to work out a favorable percentage split to pay your, you know, obligations back because there's always obligations. And I think that's one thing that people just, I think they know it's, I don't, I mean, you have to know it's there, right? But I don't think a lot of people really put a lot of thought into the obligation of the deal. You know, not only is it something that they're giving you, but you've got to give them something back as well. And that is, is important to look at as well is what is your obligation to them for this, you know, deal they're giving you in. There's people who have good instincts. Like, I'll give an example because Ultra Kill. All right, so Hakita told this story on the podcast, so I'm not telling anybody anything that's not like public information already. But he signed a deal with New Blood that he did not read, from what I understand. If he's telling the truth, wow. He's just like he, you know, he's like New Blood offered me the thing. I knew New Blood was the fucking, you know, that was the way to go for my game. And he was right, obviously. Well, yeah, but I mean, he got lucky, but come on, it's, you know, like there was already a precedent set about New Blood. I mean, Dave's a stand-up guy. He just wants, I see Dave Oshry as, I I personally admire the guy because I think he, you know, he does kind of like what I would do. I mean, he goes about it kind of in a guerrilla fashion, just says what he wants to say, does what he wants to do. You talked about it earlier, we were talking about, you know, getting outside the rules, right? That's Dave. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I just love the fact that he was willing to put his money behind where his mouth was. You know, he put his money where his mouth was and look, it paid off. So yeah. I think, you know, you can, you could actually, I think it's pretty safe to say you could probably, you know, be okay with taking a deal with New Blood and not reading it, you know, but I would advise you read every deal. But Dave's, you know, obviously Dave's not the kind of guy to screw you over, you know. And I don't think he is. I no, love no, he Dave doesn't seem like that at all. Dave, as a matter of fact, it seems like if you get with New Blood, you know, you're pretty, pretty going to be pretty okay. I think, you know, I mean, you know, that's hey, the golden ticket. Signing checks, baby. It's like the NFL, right? I guess it's like hitting the UFC. You know, you're you're fighting. We're we're all fighting down here in Elite FC. You know, trying to knock each other out, but be friendly, comp- competitive. You know, our training partners and all that. But we all got to fight in the ring for business. But we're all wanting that UFC contract. And it seems to me like there's a few companies out there right now that are, you know, banging it out of the park. And it kind of, there was a second for about like trust where I wanted to bring up Hellforge just one little bit. Um, that was kind of yeah. with Hellforge, you know, it, when, when Bridge and I talked and I hopefully I don't get in trouble for this and it, well, I might want to clear I might have to clear this past bridge before, but um I was, I wanted to make it very clear that, you know, I love what he's doing and I, and I'm totally on board with like the collaborative thing and the supportive thing. But I was also, you know, we had a discussion about, I wanted to still retain the possibility of say, what if a, a, a new blood decided to approach me or, you know, 3d realms or 
some other you know company that that would probably be a good fit for my game and because right now it's it, there's no like there's no money being you know no contractual money or exchanging hands between bridge and i so it's just more of us being and i kept throwing around the term coalition because i really feel like it's just kind of a, a group of developers all focused on getting our games out there and we're helping each other as much as we can it would be great to turn it into maybe sort of like a new blood thing you never know i mean maybe that would be fantastic but until that kind of happens you know we I, I still want to be available to be approachable. So that was kind of a, a trust thing that that I had that you know I've discussed very thoroughly with Bridge. So if anybody's you know in that kind of situation, they should very make sure they discuss it with whoever they're talking to. Get it I out. I wish the you could see my PMs with Bridge. Oh, is he because, watching this? No, no, no. <laughs> not not this. I just mean like. What you're talking about right now, right? Like the, the the potential of what he's building to become something very new blood or you know 3dr like, yeah. I, no, there's there's probably no bigger bug in his ear than me. I'm just like, bridge. Come on, like, yeah. let me buy in early, and and let me help you do this thing because. He, just the, the the talent that he attracts the uh yeah that's stable of games take mine out of the equation like take take my game completely out yeah. of the equation and that's a strong stable of games he's got right all yeah. right there you know and he's got they've got a good niche you know like you're one of the few outliers who's not a gz doom project yeah or a doom product which was kind of what we, it was kind of weird when he approached me you know i was like it was one of the questions that I had had from us like, well, how do you see me fitting in? Because I'm, you know, I'm not like a doom mod. I'm not, you know, a GZ doom yeah. project. I'm a completely different thing. And that's kind of when the idea, you know, kind of floated, I think expanding into more like that new blood thing. And I was like, okay, well now, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that because imagine being in the ground floor of something like that, you know, cause like dusk was the big kind of breakout that really opened up the doors for this whole retro kind of movement. You know what I mean? That's why I feel like dusk was the kickoff. So imagine the next kickoff of, of the next thing. Like, what's going to be the next genre that gets a kickoff from the indies? Wouldn't it be great if it was something from Hellforge? Wouldn't it be great if it were the, you know... Wouldn't it be great if it was Only Shell? Arena FPS right? from Only Shell. I, that, that's a big contentious thing that I bounce around in my head all the time. I'm like, Bridge, you really really could just figure out a way to monetize all these games and and hear me out because i'm just going to tell you what i'm thinking go for and it if every game on that roster years included said look i'm willing to give a small percentage back to the company off sales because you know hey you helped me we we all helped each other let's let's put like five ten you know whatever you guys think is fair back towards Hellforge on sales. And Hellforge makes a lot of money off that. And then Hellforge agrees to then take that money and reinvest it in these products and not just in their continuation, but like in their, you know, because I'm assuming a lot of these are going to be early access titles. Um, but let's say they weren't, you know, in their sequels and, and in reinvesting into your guys' next projects, that kind of thing. The... I, I mean, I'm not an economist here, but I feel like I'm pretty on to, I have an understanding of how this works. He could, he could change things for everyone. 
-hmm. He could make a profit and also make a reinvestment in a lot of really, really cool things. And the, you have the potential then to just like make a company happen out overnight, essentially with five, six, whatever it is now games that are going to release. That's nothing. That's all of you guys make your fucking, you know, whatever profit you feel necessary and have funding for your next thing. Huge. Easily mm-hmm. done. It's just a matter of being handled correctly legally. And yep. and I really hope that's what happens, man. I love I love what Bridgeburner stands for and I love what you guys are all doing. Yeah, I'm really excited about the idea. I mean, I'm I'm really interested to see how this plays out because I mean, you know, imagine if someone hits a hits a homer and that's a lot of heat to bring into that company, a lot of attention to bring into everybody else. So there's a, there's a lot, there's just, everything is just like for, I feel like at this point, there's just nothing to lose for anybody. Like it's a win-win for everybody. So it's a, at this point I would rather be on the ground floor of a company. Yes. Hellforge than I would be trying to get into, you know, what's already going on because new New blood's busy. New Mm -hmm. blood's got like a bunch of games already out there. They're, They've kind of already, and to be, I think it's a smart move. Maybe let's not do the boomer shooter thing forever with right. them. Uh, same thing with 3D Realms. Night Dive's got their own monetary thing going on. There's, who, who fucking knows? I'll have to get with Steven sometime and be like, when are we going to yeah. ever see anything else out of, yeah. out of us? Hello, guys. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, you know, you know what I mean though? Like, it, I, I think I would rather be in on the ground floor of yeah. something like Hellforge than I would be trying to get into the, the fraternity that's already been established. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of, that was what excited me the most and why I decided, you know, I, I went for this, you know, I, I agreed yeah. to it and I'm, I, I just told Bridge, you know, man, I'm in cause I, I'm excited by this idea. Um, it, it still doesn't stop the possibility of one of us getting approached saying, getting a fantastic deal that we just can't, you know, refuse, um, but it also doesn't put pressure on us to do that. Like yeah. we don't have to go out now and, and actively search for it. We can all work together and help each other. So I think, I, I think there's more overall potential in that idea than say, you know, go into an established company. Cause I mean, I've already been kind of told I should, I should be hitting up Dave. I should have sent him my demo. I should, you know, the build I've got it, you know, and I, I just, I've been hesitant because I, I've listened to his interviews and, and stuff like that. And I know they're not taking on other games and, and, you know, I'm not you really. Get feedback. You'll get feedback. That's oh, I would. Oh, believe me. I would love to get uh, Dave's feedback. I mean, believe me, uh, but I, I, I don't. And again, you know, if he came to me with some sort of a great, fantastic deal, I'm not saying I would say no, definitely, you know, would never say that, but. I, I'm not in a position that I have to have funding. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, I could finish this on my own. I mean, granted, would I love the juice I would get from, say, you know, a new blood thing? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, that would probably guarantee a bunch of sales. But again, what if with Hellforge? There's just that what if factor that is so attractive to me. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's so like, everything's just, there's so much in the pot right now, like swimming around that it's just, it's kind of hard sometimes to digest it and take it all in. I'm still kind of figuring it all out. You know, it's all new. 
with uh, the, the attention and what's going to happen with what and what the possibilities are and what my options are. And I just taken it day, to, day by day at this point, man, trying to kick out the best game I can because I, I feel like I'm onto something new. I feel like I'm onto something interesting. And I, and I feel like if I, if I get it right, it could be big. I'm hoping. I think, I think you're 100% on the right path. Uh, having now played the game finally, <laughs> I, I really do believe in it. I mean, I wouldn't. I appreciate that. I wouldn't tell you that if I didn't. If I didn't already have a reason to believe so, but like, you're playing all the right cards, dude. You, you've kept Trying. your cards close to your to your chest this whole time, uh, rightfully so. You've you've built something. You've you've laid out a, an idea that I think is totally unique. It's never been done before. It's going to captivate a lot of people. You're interacting with the correct people. That's my wife yelling downstairs at Mario Kart. I think um, you, you're you're kicking ass and you're taking names. And thank I, you, man. I'm, I'm very happy to be here talking to you. I, I hope that thanks thanks to Zach for putting us together. Oh yeah, thank you, Zach. I, I let me you know just like thank you to everybody who's just been super cool to me about this whole thing. I mean, there's just been so many people that have been really nice. Um, I've gotten so much good feedback from so many good people. I could not have, have done what I've done without that feedback. I could, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you without, without E1 M1 and, and which was, you know, from realms deep, the first one. So, I mean, thank you to realms deep, the first one. And I'm glad you guys decided to do that. Cause man, that year was dud. We needed that. That was, that was such a shot in the arm, man. It was so good to see that. I was like pumped when I saw that. I, I wished I could have been a part of it. So, but. Cheers. See you guys soon.